0: I would like to start by expressing my deepest respect and gratitude to the many indigenous peoples and tribal nations in the Salish Sea region for their enduring care and protection of our shared lands and waterways. My name is Annika Fain and I'm the host of this podcast and thank you so much for joining me today for episode 18. Northwest Fish Passage is a small strategic collaborative partnership of scientists, planners, and engineers. Today, I'm with Daryl Gray, lead project manager for Nooksack Salmon Enhancement Association. Over the past two years, I've had the great pleasure of working with Daryl to remove six culverts and replace these with full span bridges that allow fish to freely swim upstream and downstream of these sites, and currently working on two more. Thank you so much, Daryl, for joining me today.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So what motivated you to get involved in habitat restoration?
1: I think it probably just started as a a kid as far as passion for fishing. So my father was really into fishing in rivers and creeks and the ocean. And so we spent a lot of our time (laughs) as a youth, you know, traipsing up creeks and fishing for trout and renting little boats and going out and fishing for salmon in the ocean. So I was definitely passionate about fish. Um, when I went to school, I did my undergraduate in geology with an emphasis on fluvial geomorphology. I was, again, very interested in rivers and the dynamics of rivers. And, um, so that, that was kind of, I guess, where my initial passion started for fish and for rivers. <laughs> and then actually I got an opportunity to work with my brother-in-law, Silver Culture, which um, we were contracted out to forest companies to replant after they logged so i did that for about 10 years it was um, a great job quite lucrative and i had a lot of time off to travel so it was kind of ideal when i was younger however i did spend a lot of time in clear cuts and sadly the regulations were not that strict as far as how you could get close you could get to greek so i definitely saw a lot of devastation and that kind of led me to decide to go back to university and get a degree in aquatic ecology so i'd have like an undergraduate dead or not living things are <laughs> rocks and water and then a master's in, aqu- in aquatic ecology and when I was doing my master's uh, an internship opened up oh I apologize I had to go back to get him before I get my master's I went back um to school because I needed a few more classes um, and at that point there was an internship available at NC and fortunately I got that internship And I did that for three months, and as luck would have it, somebody was leaving, and I was there at the right time. (laughs) So I got hired at the end of my internship and have been here ever since. I was like, sorry if I didn't mention the date, but that was back in 1995.
0: Okay. And can you tell me more about the mission and goals of NC?
1: Okay. So our mission... I. It's been refined over the years, a lot of wordsmithing, so they've kind of narrowed it down. I'm going to read it verbatim because it's more eloquent than anything I could put together. Uh, The Nooksack Salmon Enhancement Association educates, inspires, and engages the community to take action to keep wild salmon here for future generations. We enhance river, creek, and riparian habitat while educating people of all ages to provide Pacific salmon and steelhead the best chance at survival. So that's kind of my, my part <laughs> of the mission is uh, as a project manager, I, I manage a lot of riparian restoration projects, in-stream habitat enhancement projects, and one of my most favorite things, of course, is fish passage barrier removal so i I'm, I'm really grateful to be part of this podcast cuz it is definitely a passion of mine and i find that part of my job probably the most satisfying immediate results yeah. versus watching small <laughs> plants grow
0: <laughs> so approximately how many culverts have you facilitated removal of then?
1: so we so we're really fortunate um, to partner with Watcom County in 2003 they received a surfboard grant uh, to do a fish passage barrier inventory for Wira 1, or essentially Whatcom County. And their goal was to have uh, a conclusive, probably not absolutely conclusive because we didn't get onto every property where we were de- denied access, but list of all of the fish passage barriers in Whatcom County. And that would be DOT crossings, so state highway, state road crossings, county crossings, city crossings, and private barriers. So we partnered with Watcom County and the Nooksack Tribe. And the Nooksack Tribe and NC were tasked with doing all of the private crossings. So there was about a year of outreach to try and get permission um, to go out and survey these these crossings and determine where they were barriers or not. So that was took a fair amount of time to begin with and that was handled I think by a consultant named Divine and Tarval Associates. I don't know if they're still there. And then once we had the permission then the tri- Nooksack Tribe and NC went out and surveyed those crossings. If it was determined to be a barrier At the same time we would survey the crossing, we would do an upstream habitat assessment, somewhat abbreviated, just to determine how much habitat. If there were (laughs) roads in the way or or unwilling landowners, then we used aerials to the best of our ability to kind of determine what the available habitat was, looking out, of course, looking at the topography. So out of that came um, an access database that listed all of the barriers and you know, sorry, listed all of the culverts we surveyed and whether there were barriers, and then we adapted to that what would be a possible fix um, for those crossings. And then when that was completed, we started looking for money. <laughs> and we've been pretty fortunate. I mean, there's some pretty good programs out there, particularly the Family Forest Fish Passage Program and the Natural Resource Conservation Service Environmental Quality Incentive Program. Um, one, the, the former is more focused on forest roads, old for- abandoned forest roads. Um, the second one is probably more agriculture, but they will also do projects on forest lands because if it is a managed forest, it is considered agriculture. So, since 2000, so we started that in 2005, the assessment took two years. Um, and since 2005, we've removed 132 fish passage barriers improving access to over 160 miles of upstream habitat. And I think this was, I know for me, a little bit of an eye-opener in that we have a dam or we had a dam on the Middle Fork and obviously considered a complete barrier to all fish passage. And so you think, well, that is the the smoking gun. That is the Mm -hmm. thing. And that took since, (laughs) that probably took about 15 years to get funded and get done. But I th- would think cumulatively, all of the small barriers block more habitat than the Middle Fork Dam. So, while that's a great project and it has, you know, kind of great appeal because of the size of it, I think addressing all these smaller barriers, especially in conjunction with state and county barriers, um, is more bang for the buck, I think. that's my humble opinion
0: (laughs) yeah and how many barriers overall were inventoried
1: um so if i I remember right it could be off by about fifty. i think it was about 1800 barriers were inventoried or 1850 and of those about 850 were determined to be barriers and then by doing that habitat stream habitat assessment we generated a priority index number so we could kind of compare apples to apples and then rank all of the projects at the beginning we were replacing culverts with a pi value of around 40 which i think this is almost the top mm-hmm. um and we've been working down that list now we're in the 20s <laughs> i don't know we'll still be funding once we get into the teens but uh, there's still quite a few culverts out there that are ranked around 20 you know low 20s mm-hmm.
0: so what are some of your favorite projects that you've worked on
1: um i think i I think going back to oh i apologize when we did the biggest product that came out of that fish passage barrier inventory was a gis layer so this is prior to fpdsi and SalmonScape that the dfw put together which is now you know, state-of-the-art very slick but back then they didn't have anything like that so uh, that divine tarball associates they developed this gis layer where you could see all of the barriers on a creek. So you could be much more strategic about planning. You could say, okay, let's try and remove all of the barriers in this watershed or on this creek. And we would say, okay, well, DOT might do this in 2005. So we should start lining up the private landowners upstream of that. And then maybe the county is going to do another one. Um, so I think that was probably my most enjoyable part, or that was so enjoyable, but I thought, was the most useful product that came out of there was that you could look at a watershed and then just kind of decide strategically how you're going to approach this. So um, I think my most favorite projects were when we did that and identified maybe five barriers and then either did them all in one year or did them consecutively over, over a few years. So one of my most favorite projects was on High Creek, which is a tributary of Kendall Creek, um, near Kendall, Washington, about halfway between Bellingham and Mount Baker. And we had done the assessment, you know, back in the culvert inventory, the barrier inventory. And so we knew there were five barriers in a row there. And one was a complete barrier. So that's always the most <laughs> I think, yeah. exciting. So it was essentially a, a dam or some restriction that was put in. I don't know, it could have been for agricultural watering. And it had about probably an eight to nine foot drop coming out of it. So no fish were getting above that. Um, Since its installation, I don't really know, but it was probably sometime in the 50s, I would guess. So I guess what I thought was kind of neat about that project is we did five barriers in a row. Um, Three were partial, two were complete barriers. Another older kind of dam structure. And then I think this was, the I guess, a great learning curve for me too, is like if you're going to do that and you're going to try and approximate the new grade of the channel, it is really nice to have that kind of scope with five barriers. Mm-hmm. So we were able to survey about 3,000 feet of channel and then approximate when those barriers are removal, what would be the new gradient. And you know, you can't hit it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so then when we did all of our regrading, we did it all at once. Or, or if we did it, we knew what our grade would be for the next reach and for the next reach. It involved a lot of channel roughening, which... I don't know, I guess doesn't allow for as much natural adjustment, but we couldn't really have it just go, go crazy and, and do really crazy things and create more <laughs> barriers. So there was a lot of cobble and material that went into it, but um, it was very, yeah, it was very rewarding. Some of it had good riparian, where it didn't, the landowners also allowed us to do some planting. So in the end, we removed five barriers. Um, some people went into the CREP program, so it's all been replanted since that time. So I think that was, yeah, that was probably one of my most favorite projects. And then, you know, we, we don't do dams, you know, like the Middle Fork Dam, but occasionally we come across small dams. Uh, wooden structures or concrete structures, again, that were probably used in pound water for agriculture. And we did one on McCormick Creek, uh, very actually close to our office. I mean, McCormick Creek is a tributary to Squalcombe Creek, which is the largest independent watershed in Whatcom County. That flows directly into the Salish Sea. Um, the landowners on this site were just amazing. <laughs> and I actually, through a neighbor of theirs, got an invite to look at this dam. It was a concrete structure. It hadn't been used in many years. It was entirely full of sediment. Sorry, I don't have pictures <laughs> to show it to you. But it was about probably about seven feet high and about maybe 50 to 60 feet wide, so it impounded quite a bit of water, a complete barrier. They had a driveway just downstream of that, and that culvert was a barrier, and then upstream was a forest road, and that was a barrier. Um, Again, we were able to get funding for the forest culvert through Family Forest Fish Passage for the other culvert and the dam through the Natural Resource Conservation Service, so combining the funding. And... We did them all at the same time. So it was, yeah, it was just kind of an, more of an unusual fun project to slowly pump down this dam and then get all of the sediment out behind it. Again, just amazing landowners, super, super nice. Um, they asked, said, oh, come by, drop by any time. So it's, it's kind of, it's, well, it's still, they're probably about four years old. So the plants are still young, but a lot of it is pretty well forested. So yeah, it's a very beautiful site to go look at. And they have a picture in front of you of where the dam was, and then you can see that it's mm-hmm. not there. I think that's kind of, kind of fun, exciting, rewarding.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of your biggest challenges and successes?
1: Um, so it's funny you say challenges. I would say these are both challenges and successes. <laughs> the two that came to mind when I saw your question were landowner willingness and then funding. So landowner wilderness can obviously be a problem. Some people are just kind of happy with the status quo or don't want anybody on their property or don't want the government involved in the property. But I've kind of found that, found that over time, with a little persistence, some people will change their mind or their kids will inherit the place or it will change hands. So I kind of you know, just keep going back each year if I, if I haven't got a, a definite yes i mentioned now there's another one where we did five culverts in a row and one was a complete barrier uh, about a 10 foot drop and i talked with that landowner for 10 years we became kind of good friends and we didn't share the same political views or anything but i really enjoyed talking with him and i think he enjoyed my persistence (laughs) and after 10 years he said yes so um so yeah landowner willingness can obviously be know a stumbling block if you particularly say if you did want to do five culverts in a row and the middle person says no but also I think yeah people change their minds over time and majority of people I've met they they kind of want to do the right thing they just don't really know what to do or they don't have the money so when somebody comes in like our organization say well we can do the permitting and the design and we can find funding and we're just going to be there on your site for two weeks and we'll be gone you know that that appeals to people Um, it's your bridge now you know so if you like if it let us we'd love to come back and do some monitoring uh, and then the funding piece I think you know through though through different administration changes over the years there's always been the fear that the pipe will get shut off and no more money will come out I think what I've learned is is a lot of that funding is such a long-term process one change the administration can't really stop it you know because it's already started five years ago so i would say you know we've done these 120 120 crossings while we may have taken may have taken a year or two sometimes to fund projects sometimes faster it seems like we've always been able to find the funding again maybe we have to be more strategic and fund one with one program or combine programs but it, it seems, with our at least with our capacity, with our crew size and the staff time we have, we've always pretty much had funding to do as many crossings as we could do within the in-stream construction. Window. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's a challenge, but again, I've been pretty grateful that there's always seems to have been somebody that's willing to fund something. And funny enough, I've had a few landowners over the years that just said, I don't want your government money, I'll pay for it. You know, and I'm like, this is going to be expensive. They go, I'll pay for it. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's been kind of fun. I have done some projects where the landowners have paid for everything.
0: And what have you found out about ongoing monitoring as in the challenges of getting money?
1: Yeah, I, well, I, I think ongoing monitoring is critical. You know, I mm-hmm. mentioned when we do these big regrade projects, things still adjust. I mean, it is good to be able to go back at least a few years after your project Um either resurvey or maybe there's a habitat assessment involved or at least monitor fish presence above that barrier, be it juvenile or adults. Um, I think the challenge for that is funding. (laughs) Standalone monitoring funding is very difficult to get. So most of these projects, they're like a one-year grant, you know, to complete the project and there is no more funding for monitoring. We've been really fortunate we have kind of a generous uh, donor was very interested in monitoring so he's been giving us um, approximately forty thousand dollars a year for the last three years so that's allowed us to go back oh, yeah. repetitively mm-hmm. so we do if the landowner is willing go back a minimum of three years after the project and of course we, we let them know hey if you see a fish or if you see any big changes happening if the creek starts to take a right instead of a left you know please let us know so so yeah I think it's very important it's sad that It's not such a sexy deliverable that people want to fund, you know, they want to fund projects. They don't really want to fund monitoring.
0: And I know there's a lot of fish passage projects you're working on this year. You want to talk about, um, briefly, about a couple of those that you're working on?
1: Yeah, so we've got six planned for last year. Last year we did, I think, 14. Some of them were quite small, straight removal. That's probably the most we've done. I think on average, we probably do five to six years. That's been kind of our goal, and that is somewhat of our capacity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, currently, we have two project managers, so we've been able to kind of run projects congruently, um, each of us. So that's added you know, some capacity to it. But this year, we have six fish passage projects planned. Um, the one I think I guess the most, ex- none of them are really amazing. You know, they're not dam removals. <laughs> But the one I'm most excited about is on a tributary of Ten Mile Creek. It's on Starry Creek, and we've actually done two projects on Starry Creek in the past, though so some years ago. But this particular landowner <laughs> was met while we were doing an, an upst- or downstream fish passage project. He was a neighbor, and he became quite interested in what we were doing. And he said, I've got a couple of culverts. So, so we went over and surveyed his culverts. And then he said, oh, my neighbor has a culvert. So <laughs> We surveyed that culvert. So we're going to do the three culverts all together. Um, one is a straight removal. One is a small, going to be like a small farm bridge. And then one is going to be a larger 50-foot
0: mm-hmm.
1: HL93 you know, steel bridge because it has emergency access for a residence there. But yeah, I always excited if you can completely remove something Mm -hmm. and this landowner said, well, I don't really use, I can get to my house a different way. I've got a different driveway. So yeah, you can just take that one out. Um, And the forest one we hoped we would take out, but he says, well, i like to go back there and walk around, you know, and as I get older, I drive a little kind of tractor. He said, okay, well, we'll, we'll do that. So, so yeah, I kind of like that one, obviously when the landowner's interested, um, show some enthusiasm and when you can do multiple barriers in a row Mm -hmm. so that's that's probably our funnest project for this summer i think
0: what are you most hopeful about in upcoming years
1: um you know i'm we were talking about this this morning as a crew because we're hopeful that the dot is going to replace a barrier on Squalcombe creek and that will complete all barriers on The main stem of Skalden Creek will then be gone, because I think we've done 13 or so. Um, The Stage has done one on I-5, and they're going to do this one. So I'm kind of excited, or I shouldn't say excited. I'm kind of impressed at how fast they're moving. I mean, it's a big bureaucratic organization. I know the court injunction, I think, required that all bears be removed in 10 years, which is really impossible. But I'm still amazed at how fast they are moving. I get an update a couple times a year, says, yeah, we're going to do this, and this one's going to do, we're going to do this. So I'm kind of excited about that. And then I guess I'm what I'm hopeful for is that once those are done, there will be more impetus on the county. I mean, whether they end up in a lawsuit with a tribe, I, I don't know. But if, if the state has removed all theirs... And just upstream as a county culvert, you think mm-hmm. they're going to have to get their ducks in a row. And, I, and I'm sure they are. I mean, they don't have the funding that DOT does. But I'm sure that that is going to lead to then county road culverts being replaced. And then that makes our job pretty exciting. If you know a DOT crossing is going to be replaced and you know a county is going to be replaced and there's two private ones over there it is much easier to get funding. You know, if you can go mm-hmm. in, because your first question is, are there any barriers downstream of your project? site?" yes. <laughs> right. But if you can say there are two, but one is going to be replaced in 2024, the other one is scheduled for 2025, I think that makes for a much stronger application. So that's what I'm kind of hopeful for. And I think the last thing I'm hopeful for is kind of tied to that. Again, if you, it's pretty exciting if you can look at a watershed and say, we're going to remove all barriers mm-hmm. in this watershed. So that's kind of what I would say, too, is the DOT in the county or a city in a private. I think that's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely agree.
0: So do you have any advice to young professionals that are interested in habitat restoration? Or?
1: I I would say follow your passion. I mean, I work for a nonprofit. The pay is not so great. The benefits are not so great. But I love what I do. I love the people I work with. Um, and I don't think myself personally, I could work at a job that I don't really like. So I think if you are really passionate about something and you start volunteering with an organization or do an internship or whatever, who knows? I mean, it's just, I don't know if it's serendipity, but sometimes being in the right place at the right time, especially if you're keen and you know you show passion, enthusiasm, and you have a good attitude, I think things will happen. <laughs> I'm not talking about fate or anything. I just, I just think if you put yourself in that path, chances are something will come up. Yeah. So persistence and passion, I guess.
0: And do you have anything else you want to talk about related to habitat restoration or?
1: Um, I guess I don't really have any. I mean, I love. I do really like our riparian planting projects, and being here 27 years or so, I mean, I I can see changes. Mm -hmm. Um, We've recently got a drone, um, and our crew members are enjoying flying that over some of our older sites, so that's really fun. Sadly, we don't have the the aerial photo from the beginning, you know, we're on the ground, but from now on, we'll take all of our our pre-project and post-project sites with the drone, so that's pretty exciting. We've got way more into GIS, and I'm... The old dog here, so I'm I'm not the lead on that. I I dabble and I create maps, but uh, some of our crew members are really proficient and very interested in GIS. So I think that is is really neat. I mean, everything that we do now is all put into GIS, um, so it makes it easy to share with other people. Um, again, I'm not the right person to answer all this, but every time they talk about it, they get kind of excited. I get kind of excited, so I'm um, yeah. So that's great, and yeah. I just love working in water, near water, and back to the fish passage. It, it is neat to see a real immediate result.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Daryl. <laughs> oh, wow, you're most welcome. Thanks,
1: Annika. I really appreciate you coming out here sitting in our little patch of woods (laughs)
0: yeah i look forward to working on these upcoming projects in the next couple months yeah (laughs) hopefully
1: we can get out and look at a couple of sites in the next week or two
0: i would like to end by expressing my deepest respect and gratitude to the many indigenous peoples and tribal nations in the salish sea region for their enduring care and protection of our shared lands and waterways If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend and write a review. Hope you have a great day. Thanks.